You are listening to the Daily Homily for Magdala in the Holy Land. Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those whom he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, that they might be with him, and he might send them forth to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, whom he named Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, whom he named Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. That's a very dramatic moment. And maybe we are used, at least as Christians, to hear the names of the 12 apostles. And here we have them presented in the boat altar chapel in icons, uh, all of these 12. So we are very familiar with them. We might miss the background. And the background is, why did Jesus have 12 apostles? these 12 close collaborators. And apparently at the time, it was customary for an established rabbi to have five. And I don't know the reason for that, but I read that a couple of years ago when we were preparing the series on the 12 apostles that's on the Magdala uh, YouTube channel. I'm not sure if it's on Facebook as well, but it's on the YouTube channel, which is easily available to everybody. And there are two units on each apostle. So, and they, why are there 12 apostles? Well, it's obviously directly connected to the 12 tribes, the structure of God's people, the foundational structure of God's people. You really couldn't talk about God's people uh, with just Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. And you couldn't talk about God's people even with Jacob and, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But the 12 tribes um, going to Egypt growing strong, now we can start talking about a people, a big community. And this community is structured with the 12 tribes, and especially later on, so we're talking hundreds of years later, when they come into the promised land, the territory is divided according to the 12 tribes. So that continues to establish the identity of the people as a people of 12 tribes. And then the whole thing is broken up with the um, Assyrian conquest. Um, it was already broken with the civil war after, after Solomon's time, but especially with the Assyrian conquest, then all the northern kingdom with the majority of the tribes is, is dismantled as a political reality. And then eventually with the Babylonian captivity, also Judah and Benjamin are gone. So then the messianic expectation quickens the 
desire for the restoration of the people, that the lost would be brought back together. And so it's a messianic sign that Jesus activates with the 12 apostles. And they become, in the book of Revelation, the heavenly Jerusalem coming on the 12 courses of stone or the 12 foundation stones, depending on how those words are translated. So we're seeing then the new Jerusalem is built on the apostles. And this is the definitive heavenly people, the God's people, which embraces all of mankind. And it has this 12 structure. So this is probably the most important part of, uh, the most important meaning of this uh, fact of Jesus calling the 12. And there are people from here around the lake and over to Cana and Jesus from Nazareth, as this per perceive. And so we have a very local thing here in Galilee, which is very interesting. And then the great responsibility that comes with the apostles, and at the beginning they were weak, and I'm sure they were weak to their death in a way, but the, God's grace was entering their lives more. They were opening continually more and more, and they were being transformed in that process. It was very hard when Peter then would deny Jesus three times. It was very hard for him. It was obviously harder for Jesus in a way, but Peter had to suffer that incredible humiliation after boasting of his strength and fidelity that he fell apart. But with God's grace, he was rebuilt. And this was the, the classical expectation of the people, and here it was being fulfilled. So this is a wonderful uh, moment in the ministry of Jesus when he nominates and establishes this College of the Twelve, which became then eventually the model of the College of the Bishops, of the successors of the Apostles. And then the Church is one holy Catholic and apostolic. It's one of the major characteristics of the Church. So I would like to tie that in here with the first uh, reading as well with Samuel and and the book of Samuel, with Saul and David. And we've already seen yesterday how Saul is very antagonistic to David because of envy and because of being attached to his authority and the mission God has given him. And then God gives a mission to so many people. Imagine the parents of Peter or John, or the parents of Matthew. We don't know the names of the parents of Matthew. Maybe we do. Well, he was called Levi. But, uh, you know, there's so many people in the background that are key to launching people to fulfill a concrete reality in life. Usually we just have the stars that are out in the front in our awareness screen, but God has a lot of other people in his awareness screen that are fulfilling very essential missions. And I think we're going to be deeply surprised in eternal life when we see the glory resonating through those souls who responded to God and nobody knew about it. It's really a great mystery of how God chooses people. And Saul is pursuing David with 30,000 troops. Like what chance does David have? And David's in a cave and Saul comes in there to relieve himself and David has a chance to kill him. And he doesn't do it because he sees the mission God has given to Saul. I will not touch the Lord's anointed. 
On the contrary, Saul does not see that David is also an anointed of the Lord. Who are we to say that somebody is not anointed of the Lord? Let's say we go back to another Saul, the Saul that's persecuting the Christians, obviously named after King Saul. And let's say that the Christians have a couple of very zealous people, and they go out and they kill him. They ambush Saul on the way to Damascus and they kill him. Imagine the disaster that would have been. They neutralized him. And he was carrying the huge potential that he wrote more than half the New or the source root of more than half the New Testament. <laughs> and the missionary work he did and the insights he had into processing that deep training he had theologically uh, and expressing the experience of the mystery of Christ through all those resources that he had processed in his religious cultural heritage. Imagine taking him out. Or somebody hated his father or his mother and they eliminated them before even Saul was born. How can we say any human being can be eliminated? And David really does a wonderful thing here, and this story is very important for educating people. It's a very powerful pedagogical story because it alerts us to the deep respect we owe every human being made in the image and likeness of God. We have as an extreme case in chapter 4 of Genesis, when Cain kills Abel. Now Cain feels that he is a marked man because since he was a murderer and he killed his brother, then he was at risk of being killed himself. And God said, I am protecting Cain. Imagine God declaring himself with that first murderer of humanity. This is a huge lesson for us to reflect on our attitudes inside the family to somebody with whom we're angry. So many disappointments and frustrations, how we treat people. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to learn more about Magdala, follow us on YouTube and on Facebook.